I'd like to invite you, if you feel comfortable, to extend your hands in a posture of receptivity as we, as we come to the Word of God now. Let's pray together. Father, here we are, um, one expression of the body of Christ in this world. We've gathered here, Lord, to worship you, and we've gathered here to hear from you, and so now we pray with these open arms that you would recognize not only that, but our hearts are open, our ears are open to hear what you have to say to us. Uh, We desire, Father, to live faithfully for you. We desire to not only receive blessings from you, but to be a blessing to many others, and may that be our posture today. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And all of God's people together said, amen, amen, thank you. Well, once again, I'd like to uh, welcome you all back to this continuing series on, excuse me, the abundant life. The abundant life. God wants to give you a life that is abundant. In fact, he wants to give you a life that is lavish. He wants to bless you above and beyond anything you could possibly ask or imagine. He wants to give you his grace. So we've been looking at some of God's uh, rich blessings that he's poured out upon us. So the first week, three weeks ago, we looked at the fact that we are blessed because we have been invited into God's a kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, if you are one who is broken in spirit, if you are one who is hungering after righteousness, if all of those beatitudes, if you are one of those people who are coming to God with a heart of humility and a heart of openness, God says you are invited to the party. You're invited to be part of the kingdom of heaven today, tomorrow, and for all eternity. You are blessed and highly favored to be part of God's kingdom. And then two weeks ago, we looked at the idea that uh, you are blessed to be a servant of God. And we used the model of Jesus in John 13, where he washed the feet of the disciples. When he was finished washing their feet, uh, this is what he said. Now, do you understand what I've just done for you? And all the disciples went, uh, yeah, uh, we get it, we understand. And uh, do you understand what he did? Yes, we understand what you did. Okay, now because you understand it, I want you to do the same thing I have done. And if you do the same thing I have done, That means to wash people's feet, both literally and figuratively. If you serve the same way I do, he said, then you will be blessed. If you serve others the way I have served you, Jesus said, you will be blessed. And then last week we talked about a very odd blessing, and blessing last week was this. You are blessed to have a burden. You are blessed to have sleepless nights. You are blessed to have this idea that, uh, man, I can't hardly stand what's happening to this group of people or this situation or this over here. Uh, in the first service, there was a woman who had just returned from Africa, and uh, she was ministering in a village there that was rampant with disease and AIDS and poverty, and it was just a terrible, awful situation. And she said, I am so blessed to be here, but I have a burden for those people now. And if you have a burden for a people group or an individual or a situation in life that's unfair, racism or something like that, then God has blessed you with that burden. 
Don't ignore it. Don't push it away. Those sleepless nights are for God to get you to do something, to partner with the king of the universe, partner with the God of the universe to do something to make those things right. So you have been blessed with a burden. The prophet Ezekiel said it this way. He said, I will bless them and the places surrounding my hill. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessings. How about that? I mean, that's where that song came from, you know, 100 years ago that we sang growing up. There will be showers of blessing. God has promised you as a child of God, as a Christ follower, you will be blessed and highly favored with his blessing. So you are blessed and highly favored. Now, the, the, the first service had twice as many people as they're in here now, and they still couldn't outdo you. How lame is that? I mean, I didn't call them lame, but I'm telling you they were lame. Okay, so in a minute you're going to say, I'm blessed and highly favored, and let's beat the first service people again, right? Uh, in a godly, loving way, let's crush them, okay? So uh, I am blessed and highly favored. Let's say it together. I am blessed and highly favored. You guys are awesome. You are. We should record that. We actually, we do record it. We should let them know. We'll let them know what they're missing. Today we're going to talk about being blessed to be a blessing. That's right, because God has blessed you, you can be a blessing to others. Now, there's some uh, new research out. That's actually not new, but it's done by the George uh, Barna group about how much money each of us needs to feel satisfied or blessed, okay? So that was the question asked Americans. It, this was the question specifically. It was a large sample, uh, sample size, so it's pretty accurate. How much money do you need to be happy? The universal answer was this, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And so somebody that's making really below poverty level, $20,000 a year, they said, if I could just make $30,000 a year, then I would be blessed. Those who are making fifty dollars say, if I can just make seventy-five, dollars things will fall into place, then I'll really be blessed. I was making hundred grand a year. You know what? If I made two hundred, man, I could do so many good things with that money. I would really be blessed with that money. We always are looking at a way of making a little bit more. That's what will make us happy. So recently, this last weekend, uh, Ryan mentioned along those sporting events, the Kentucky Derby and the fight. There was a really important event, and that was the NFL draft, right? And so um, I watched some of that. And uh, there was a guy by the name of Shane Ray out of the U University of Missouri who's a, um, a, a linebacker, actually defensive end, but a linebacker in the pros. And this guy was considered to be top 10. Top 10 is going to get a contract of six, seven million a year. Two days before he um, is, has the draft, he's driving along, going too fast. He stopped. And when he rolls down the window, billows of uh, marijuana smoke come out of the car. The guy's busted misdemeanor because he only had enough for personal use. I still don't understand that law. And uh, busted for that. And the NFL has very strict policy against marijuana use. And this guy was busted two days before the NFL draft. He probably lost $5 million a year because of that. And this is the, this is the funny part. Guess who drafted him? The Denver Broncos. Colorado, you know, you know, you know. Colorado, you know. You know, that's like me dealing blackjack at a casino. You just don't go there. You know, come on. You know. But we always think that if I just had a little bit more, then I would be okay. But here's the truth, and we all must admit this. We have more than enough, right? 
We have more than enough. Well, pastor, you don't know my situation. I'm a single mom. I don't have a very good job. I make minimum wage. True, I understand that. But if you compare our situation to any third world country, the, the lowest income people in the United States still are in the top 5% of wealthy people in the world. Okay. For instance, uh, Guadalupe, uh, the team that's coming back today from Mexico, they built a house for her. She lives on $50 a week. That's her total income. So when you start looking at it that way, you say, okay, I guess, I guess really, if I really think about it, I do have more than enough. Let me prove that to you. So how many of you have enough food to eat today? Raise your hands, okay? Now, if you don't, <laughs> raise your hand. We still have uh, cinnamon rolls left over from Easter, so you're going to go home with some. So you better be honest with me, okay? How many of you have enough food for tomorrow? Okay, good. How many of you have a roof over your head and a bedroom to sleep in? Okay, and, and, and you could go on and on. How many of you have enough clothes to wear? Oh, yeah. Uh, so Sherry and I have been transferring. Well, I mean, we're selling our house in Chandler, and we're going down to Sun Lakes. And it's a long story, but it's, gonna be a, it's a neat little house, and we love living there. Uh, we've been there for two weeks. But we were, last Monday or Monday before, we were moving our clothes down there. So we put the seats down in the van, and we start piling our clothes in the back of the van. Now, there's a lot of cubic feet in there. And as this, as this was piling up, we looked at each other and said, this just isn't right. No two human beings should have this many clothes. So we're going to do the uh, sister's closet thing or the clothes cabin or something like that. We're going to get rid of a lot of those clothes. We have more than enough. Shoes? How many have, have enough shoes? Okay, I'm a guy, right? So I need dress shoes for Sunday because Sherry makes me wear them my tennis shoes, and flip-flops. That's it. That's all I need. But we have more than enough, each and every one of us. So let me, let me say something to you, and I want you to memorize this and say it with me. God is my provider. I have more than enough. God is my provider. I have more than enough. God is our provider. We have more than enough. So when we recognize this, I mean, truly recognize it deep in our heart, not just say it because we're at church, right? When we, rec- when we understand this, when we believe this, when we embrace this, then we will understand this blessing, that God has blessed us to be a blessing to others. There's this wonderful passage in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, that goes like this. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, even if you're not a Christ follower, you think that that's kind of a, an American motto or a, a world motto. No, it came out of the Bible. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Uh-oh, he's setting us up for a sermon on money. And you're absolutely right. Uh, you're blessed to be a blessing. And some of you are going, uh-oh, I should have gone to the Mexico trip and built a house instead of having to listen to this. But listen, if you are one of these people that recognizes the blessings God has given you so you can be blessings to others, you should be saying something like this. I can't wait until Pastor Dwayne preaches on money again. He only does it twice a year, and it's so exciting. It's the most fun day of the year for me. I love that because if you really believe that it's more blessed to give than to receive, you're going to say, okay, this is exciting, and this is wonderful. Now, if you believe that it is more blessed to give than to receive, if you can't wait, you say, I can't wait till the offering. My favorite part of the service is the offering because I get to write my check, and I get to give joyfully, and it's just so awesome then you were a person who was blessed to be a blessing. Now, I grew up in a very modest home in uh, the uh, suburbs of San Diego, and we didn't have much money. My dad worked as a milkman while he was going to school at night, so we had very little money, four kids. 
And I remember when I was in junior high, I had one pair of jeans and two shirts. Every day after school, my mom made me take off my jeans so she could wash them again. I'd wear either shorts or my pajama bottoms. Very embarrassing when you're 12 years old. Just hope that my, my sister's girlfriends didn't come over the house. And, but every day, that's the kind of modest house that we lived in. But then as I got a little older, I got a part-time job, and I bought a car, a 59 a Plymouth station wagon with a push-button transmission deal for $150. It was classic. It was awesome. And then when I got in college, I actually got a job that paid real big boy money. Uh, I, my junior year, I was, uh, my, they paid for my school, and they paid for me to work for them part-time while they paid for my school, and I had this money coming in, and it was awesome. And every time I thought, you know, this is great, and I'm making more money now, and, and I, but if I had a little bit more, I'd do even better. And there was always this sense of, oh, I just want a little bit more. And then I went to a retreat, a men's retreat. And it was when I was in college. And the theme of the retreat was prayer. And the theme of prayer was this. The theme of prayer was Roundup. Now, I'm not talking about the weed killer or the rodeo. I'm talking about rounding up financially. Um, a good example is this. So uh, you go to, uh, our staff loves to go to Firehouse Subs. So about once a month, we go to Firehouse Subs Tuesday for lunch. And when you go to Firehouse, you get your sandwich and your drink and your chips, and you go up to the counter, and they say, it'll be, uh, Mr. Cross, it'll be $8.14. Would you like to round up? And what they mean is, to the, you give to the fireman's fund uh, the change from that point up to the next dollar. So in that case, I'd pay $9.00. Because you know what, that change is going to just get lost in the washing machine anyway, right? So I give that change, you know, 86 cents to the fireman's fund. And plus, you don't want to say no. You're a firehouse sub and you'd look like an idiot. So you say yes and you act like you're generous. But you, you round up, okay? So the principle of giving, the principle of generosity in the Bible is always that, to round up. Not to, what can I get away with? How little can I give in order to still get into heaven? By the way, I have the answer to that question. How little can you give and still get to heaven? The answer is this, zero. If you give zero, and if you're a Christ follower, you're still going to heaven, okay? Heaven's not dependent on how much money you give. But if you want blessings, if you want God's blessings lavishly poured out upon you, more than you can ask or imagine, then you bless him by giving to others as well. So we have this roundup philosophy, this generous way of doing life, this generous way of doing church. And it's always, well, what can I give even more? How can I minister even more? We want to round up. We love our giving, and we love to give to God's work. Now, there's a small thing there when you just say, okay, round up just a little bit. You know, I'm not going to give the least. I'm going to give the most. But you are blessed to be a blessing when you do that. Listen to this wonderful passage in 2 Corinthians 9, 13 and 14. Let me give you a little backdrop. Um, this was during the time, remember our study in James a few weeks ago? We were studying James and how terrible the situation was in the 50s and 60s and 70s of, uh, you know, of, of from zero on, you know, 2,000 years ago, and how much pressure there was on Christians, uh, economic pressure, financial pressure, uh, religious pressure, all that was on those Christians. Well, they were, they suffered mightily. Many of the Christ followers in the first century couldn't even get jobs because the Romans wouldn't give them jobs, the Jews wouldn't give them jobs, and there was all of this pressure. So they had this going on, and so they were very poor. The church at Jerusalem was very poor. There was another church in Macedonia, in Greece, that was poor also, but they weren't as poor as the church in Jerusalem. They took up an offering for the Jerusalem Christians, and it was a generous offering. 
It was rounding up. It was, we don't even have food for tomorrow, but we have food for today, so let's give some of our food for today to those people in Jerusalem. And listen to what uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, 13 and 14. Because of, this, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them, with, uh, them and with everyone else in their prayers for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else and in their prayers for your hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Because of God's generosity to you, we have this generous spirit within us, even though we don't have any money, and we're going to do whatever we can to bless you. That's when you are truly blessed to be a blessing. Now, we're blessed. We know that God is our provider. So let me share with you three, just real briefly, three blessing mistakes. Okay, we, can, we all kind of think of blessings as, as stuff, you know. Um, and, and today, in these, this series, you know I'm, I'm not talking about little things, little blessings. Little blessings are things such as a new house, or a new car, or a new job, or a fat bank account. Those are little blessings. Those are kingdom of man blessings. Nothing wrong with them. They're good, they're fun, but they're little blessings. I'm talking about the big stuff, right? That we're, we belong to the kingdom of God. We're blessed to serve. We're blessed with a burden, and we're blessed to be a blessing. These are the big things. These are the things that are eternal because we know that no one takes a U-Haul trailer to heaven, right? So you enjoy what you have now, but the stuff that really matters is these things that we're talking about, these blessings. You are blessed to be a blessing to others. Now, three big blessing mistakes. The first one is this. Some ignore God's blessings. Whining and complaining. You know, I've only got 2,000 square feet in my house. My car's five years old. You know, I've got five bedrooms in my house and the air condition, one of the three air conditioning units went out, so we can't go into our fifth bedroom today. It's too hot. And all of these, whining. and you know what God wants to say? That I said, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You really whining about that? So start counting your blessings. That passage in Ezekiel, the, 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 the showers of blessings. Start counting your blessings. Whenever Sherry and I he, hear each other whining about something we don't have, we say, okay, time for a reality check. And so we'll start counting our blessings. And we'll count them. And after a while, I get exhausted because Sherry can count her blessings all day long. I'll fall asleep. But here's the deal. We have so many blessings so many things that God has provided for that we are blessed to be a blessing instead of whining about something we don't have. But now this next category of a blessing mistake is kind of where I fall in, and it's this. Some apologize for their blessings. You know people like that? Well, we're kind of embarrassed by their blessings. Well, we, we bought a new house, but, um, uh, and it's a nice home, but we, re we got a really great deal on it. Or it was when the economy was down that we bought it. Or we got a great interest rate, and we're kind of apologizing. Don't apologize for God's blessings. If God's given you some nice things, enjoy them. You don't have to apologize for God's blessings. I mean, if someone said to me, you know, you and Sherry have a great marriage, I wouldn't say, well, you know, I got her on sale. I mean, you, you, I, I'm not going to do that, you know. I, I married above my pay grade. I didn't marry below. You know, I, you know be thankful for God's blessings. Yes, God's provided us a nice home and a nice car and a beautiful family. Thank God for all of these things. Oh, those are beautiful. Don't apologize for God's blessings. The last blessing mistake we make is, is this. Some hoard God's blessings. Studies show over and over again that the less money people make, the more they give 
to, to um, charitable organizations. Let me say that again. The less money people make, the more percentage-wise they give to charitable organizations. And conversely, the more money people make, the less percentage they give to charitable organizations, specifically the church. Now, a good example of that is um, uh, Barna did this study as well. What people group gives the most percentage-wise and what people group gives the least? Here's what they found. Single African-American mothers give the highest percentage of money to the church. The lowest, white-collar, white married males give the least percentage. Do you know why? Because we believe that it's our money. A woman is just trying to make it, working two jobs, raising her kids. She knows that she can't do it without God's blessing, and she blesses God back. But people that make a lot of money, you know what? I made this money. I'm smart. I'm educated. I did it. This is my money. I embrace it, and I just hold on to it. God says that is not a person that's going to receive the blessings from God. Now, they may receive a lot of money. Solomon said, why do the evil prosper? Very simple, because they're going the way the world goes. <laughs> they're doing everything the way the world says you should do it, so of course they're going to prosper. But it's not talking about just monetary blessing. God says, I want to bless you, and, you can, and I can bless you if you bless others. So some people hoard God's blessing. So there's this story in the Bible, uh, and some of you know that story. It's, um, it's about um, from Luke chapter 12. So a wealthy man uh, has this large farm, and his crop this year is particularly great. It's a great crop. And it's more, more grain and more corn than you could possibly use. And so he has a dilemma. He said, what am I going to do with this extra crop, this extra grain? And somebody suggested, well, maybe you should uh, give to the poor. He said, I'm not going to give to the poor. Those people are lazy. Let them go out and get a job. Well, maybe you should give to, uh, you know, single moms. Oh, no, if they, if they hadn't have, you know, I started to say a bad word. If they hadn't have made their husbands mad, uh, they, they would still have a, you know, and just really lame stuff like, and so here the guy came up with a perfect solution for him. You know what his solution was, right? He said, I'm going to build more barns. Now, there's a great solution. I don't have enough room for all these crops. I certainly don't want to give them away to the poor. I don't want to give them to the church. I don't want, because I might need them someday. And so I'm going to build more barns. And Jesus came and said to that guy, he said, listen, today you're a grasping fool. Your life is demanded of you. And then in Luke 12, 21, it says, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. To be generous towards God to be generous towards others. Round up. Oh, God, I, I can only afford $150 in tithe this week. Okay, give $175 and see what God does. Round up. Don't round down. Round up. Now, why do we do that? It's very simply because God always rounds up his grace to us. Jesus could have said, you know what? This idea of going to the cross, dying on the cross, doesn't sound too good. In the garden, he said, Father, if this cup can be passed for me, I don't want, because he was real human, right? He was very God and very man, real human. And uh, I don't know if I want this. Uh, I'm not really too happy about this. So how about if Jesus had have said this? He said, you know what? I'm gonna, I, I, I can't give everything, but let me give something. So here's what I'll do. I will be uh, beaten and spit on for your sins. Okay, great. What's that going to get us, right? Nothing. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Either you pay for your sins by dying or somebody else does. Somebody getting spit upon and beaten is not going to do the trick. Or Jesus could have said this. You know what? Um, 
uh, I'm going to go old school, Old Testament on you. I'm going to make sure, I'm going to provide you with enough, I'm going to provide you with enough sheep so that every time you sin, you can make a sacrifice. Okay? So how many sheep would you need? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, there's not a pen big enough, right, for the sheep we would need. So yeah, Jesus, I'm going to be very generous to you. I'm going to give you enough sheep to make enough sacrifices for your sins. We'd spend the rest of our lives sacrificing sheep. Instead, here's what Jesus said. I will give everything. I am the last, final, perfect sacrifice. I give my life for you extravagantly. I give my life to you over and above anything you can imagine. That's how much I love you. And God says, I want you to reflect that same kind of giving to others. I want you to show that same kind of generosity to the church. I want you to show that same kind of generosity to missions. I want you to show that same kind of generosity to the poor, to the, uh, to the people that are put down, to all of the people in the world who need our help. You are blessed to be a blessing. Now let's look at what it means in God's Word. And, and when we look at this, I want to talk about the big blessings, not the little blessings like houses and cars. Those are little blessings, nothing wrong with them. They're little, I'm talking about the big stuff. Now let's start by talking about this idea of a tithe. <laughs> um, let, let me say it this way. And you can write this down because this is profound. You're going to like this. Actually, you're not going to like it, but it's true. Here's, here's what I'm going to say. Tithing is not giving. Tithing, the Bible says, is 10% of your income. Well, is that net or gross? If you're asking that question, you don't have the right heart, okay? Tithing is not giving. Listen to what uh, God said in Leviticus 27.30. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Now, Dave Ramsey would love this, Financial Peace University, which we do every year. You can take that class. Scripture doesn't say, give the tithe to God. Scripture only says one thing, what? Bring the tithe to the, to the, to the Lord's house. It doesn't say give it, it's because a tithe is not giving. It's kind of the minimum. It's, uh, it's giving for beginners. It's kind of a place to start. God says, listen, I've given you the ability, your hands, just read Deuteronomy 6 through 8. I've given you the ability with your hands, your feet, your mind to make a living, to get educated, to all of the, all these things that you can do to make a living and get a paycheck comes from God, everything. So everything you have, you're being a steward of for God. You're taking care of all the things you have until you go to heaven. Remember, you go to heaven, no U-Haul trailer. So you're taking your character, your heart, all of those things with you. So this is what God has promised. He said, the tithe is just enough to keep the church running. That's what your tithe is. The tithe is enough to keep the church running. But, and that's, that's not something that you give. That's something that belongs to God already. So you bring it to the storehouse. Now, if you want to be blessed, really blessed, let's go beyond the tithe, right? Let's go over and above the tithe and see what that looks like. So this is where I want to talk to you about being blessed to be a blessing. Three ways you're blessed to be a blessing. The first is this. We are blessed to give joyfully. The Greek word for joyfully, <laughs> you're going to like this, is hilariously. Hilariously. In the first service, after we um, took, uh, had communion, and then we, or actually after we took the offering, uh, somebody sitting behind us, when the offering plate was passed, they started laughing hilariously. And I, you know, I kind of jumped and said, what's going on with them? And Steve said, well, you told me to laugh, you know, so. <laughs> so. Hilariously, joyfully. Listen to 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously 
will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves what? A cheerful giver, hilarious giver. Yeehaw! Kind of giving, right? I mean, this is awesome. I'm blessed to be a blessing. My favorite part of this service is the offering. I can't, write to, I can't wait to write my check. Well, I don't have enough money for food. That's all right. I can, use, I can lose a few meals and do, be just fine. See, it's kind of the difference between maturity and immaturity for believers. So when uh, at one Christmas, our, son, our youngest son, Tyler, was five years old. And um, you know how it is because it's the same at your house. Don't blame us. We were at Grandma and Grandpa's house, and all the kids were there, the grandkids. And the place is just, this is at Mom and Dad's house in San Diego. The place is just filled with paper and boxes and everything. And Tyler had a, a stack of toys and clothes around him where you couldn't hardly see him behind it. You know, he's standing by it. And when everything was done, you know what he said? He said, is that all there is? Now, that wasn't a Tyler problem. That was a parenting problem because we hadn't really taught our son. And we said, we got to do a better job of that. But that's what you would expect from a child, right? It's immature. But why is it that grown-ups do that? Is that all there is, God? Come on. Look at the other guy, God. He got more than I did. Is that all? Are you, are you being stingy with me, God? Are, are you not being generous with me? And that's kind of the idea that we get that we're supposed to give joyfully but not without compulsion. Here, I'm going to make a deal with you. And the elders aren't going to like this, so earmuffs, elders. Um, listen, if you can't give joyfully, don't give. If you can't give and say, Lord... You know, I, I don't know where all my money's going to come this week. I don't know if I can pay all my bills, but I'll tell you what. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to tithe to the Lord. I'm going to bring my tithes to the storehouse. And I'm going to do it with a joyful heart. If you can't do it with a joyful heart, don't give, okay? God's going to fill in the gap with somebody else. But God wants us to give with a joyful heart. You have been blessed by God. <laughs> give joyfully. Make the offering the best part of the service. The second thing we see, the second benefit to being blessed is this. We are blessed to give extravagantly, extravagantly. I'm talking about stupid giving, <laughs> extravagant giving. So um, back in 2006, remember that's when the economy was kind of booming, house prices were going up crazy and all of that. And uh, we'd been in our house since 2000, so there was a lot of equity in our house. And so we decided to take some money out of the house and fix our backyard, which at that time was still dirt and weeds, much to my wife's chagrin. And we, so we put it in our backyard, and you've, most of you have seen it. It's beautiful. It's got bricks and trees and everything. And, and, then, and then we also gave a significant chunk to the church because that's what we do. We love that. We are joyful in doing that. And that particular year, 2006, we were really struggling financially in our church because at that point we only had maybe 300 people, and the giving wasn't very good because the economy was about ready. Anyway, it was a problem. It was, we gave generously to our church. Well, two years after that, I was audited, Right? The IRS said, okay, pal, you're not, you're not going to get by with this. You know, here you give this amount, you give this amount each year, and then this year you give this amount. Now, you're, you're, you're trying to play games. And so they audited me. Of course, we had all that stuff, and it was forgiven and all that, so there's no problem. But the fact is, people don't understand that kind of stupid generosity, that kind of giving generously, that kind of over and above sacrificially. We have, uh, there's a great story in the Bible about um, this kind of extravagant giving. Mark chapter 14, verses 3 and 5. So a woman came up to Jesus, and she had this alabaster jar filled with perfume, very expensive perfume, the Estee Lauder of the uh, ancient Near East, right? 
And uh, so listen to what happened in Mark 14. A woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume, made of pure nard. I, I still can't read that word and not laugh. I don't know. Pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why, this is a waste of perfume. It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. Now, you can understand that because some of you would say the same thing, right? Uh, but somehow, some way, Jesus wanted to teach them that there are times in your life, not all the time, because sometimes you have to be practical, but there are times in your life when you are just stupid extravagant. You're so overwhelmed with God's extravagance to you that you are just stupid extravagant, and that's what this woman did to him. How is God stupid extravagant to us? I'll tell you why. He's forgiven you from some of your sins. Aren't you glad? Can you say amen to that? He's forgiven you for some of your sins. You know, isn't that wonderful? No, that's not. That, that would have been fair. That would have been okay to forgive you of some of your sins. Maybe some of the small ones, but the big ones? Are you kidding me? He's not going to forgive you. No, here's what he said. He said, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Your sins are forgiven extravagantly. Past, present, and future, you are forgiven. You are blessed. You are graced. You don't have to say, I wonder if God's going to like me today. No, God's going to like you every day because he sees you through his son, Jesus Christ. He doesn't see you through your good behavior. It's not, good. It's not that good anyway. He doesn't see you through your good works. It's not really that good anyway. He sees you through his son, Jesus Christ, and he gives to you his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness extravagantly. And sometimes he just wants us to get stupid with our extravagant giving. There's a last way we're supposed to give, and it's sacrificially. Sacrificially. You got to feel it, folks. If you don't feel it, it's not really giving. It's just throwing money out the window. You got to feel it. You know the story that I'm going to read here, right? The woman, uh, there was a worship service going on, and it was time for the offering, which is a big deal. They had these copper big kettles, and uh, people bring up their coins and drop them in and make a lot of noise and rattle. It sounds really cool. The Pharisees who had a lot of money pour a whole bunch of coins. It rattles and makes noise. And then there's this woman who has nothing, and she comes up, and the Bible says that she gave her, her mites, which are little wooden cones, uh, coins worth about half a penny each. And she put those, nobody heard it, nobody made the noise, and she said, now who gave most in that circumstance? Listen to what he said in Mark 12. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Isn't that amazing? Everything, all she had. This woman, her heart of extravagance and sacrifice was incredible. I mean, it's one thing to give out of what you have left over, it's another to give instead of getting something you wanted or even needed. That's what Lauren said earlier about the Navajo. This widow walks into a church, opens her coin purse, puts in a penny, contrasted to the Pharisees. She put in tomorrow's breakfast. She put in tonight's supper. She put in her, her, her coat to warm herself at night. Everything. Think on that. 2 Samuel 24, 24 says this. No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord for my God, uh, uh, sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. It's got to be a sacrifice. 
Round up. Don't say, how can I get away? How much little can I get away with? Round up. Be generous. Be faithful. Now, the beginning of this church, um, at least when I came in 2000, uh, we had about 40 people, and our yearly budget was about $60,000. <laughs> you know, that was just going to barely pay for the pastor and, and try to keep the lights on in the building. And uh, there were people in that church who on their backs, and I would name the names and you would know them, but they wouldn't want me to do that, on their backs. There was one family that put a second mortgage on their house to help build this church. There were others who said, you know, I'm not going to buy a new car. I'm going to just take care of my old car to build this church. There were others that said, you know, I'll, do, I'll get a second job. I'll do whatever I can to build this church. When we moved into this church, we had 150 people and a budget of about $150,000, and our mortgage was $13,000 a month. We couldn't afford that, but we blessed others, and God blessed us. Round up. You are blessed to be a blessing. This morning as I was praying, I wanted you to feel this truth, so... Here's what I wanted to do as we close this morning. I know all of you probably give differently, okay? And by the way, let me say a, 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 this statement. Um, we don't know what you give. It's none of our business. And I'm, when I say we, the staff, the elders, only our financial secretary, Michelle Pollard, knows what you give. No one else knows. It's no one else's business. It's between you and God, right? So I can say this without any impunity. I, I can say this because I don't know what anybody gives here. But I, all of you probably tend to give differently. Some of you are like Sherry. If you see a need, a person in need, a situation, you want to give to it immediately. And, so, and God blesses you for being that kind of a giver. If you're like me, I'm, I'm a churchman. I've always been a churchman. I want to give my church. I want to give extravagantly to my church because I know what it takes to run a church and I, and I know what it, how hard it is. And, and so I want to give to my church. Others of you want to give anonymously and God bless you for that. Others of you want to give to special projects like missionaries, our missionaries that we sponsor in Colombia and Mexico or uh, the San Marcos School or Streetlight or uh, the Navajo Trip or or um, the Mexican mission trip. You want to give to those kind of projects, and th that's great, that's wonderful. And others of you say, well, you know, I don't have any money, but I'll give time, right? I don't have money, but I'll, I'll give time. So here's what I want you to do. No matter how you give, continue giving the way you give because God is blessing you. But then I want to challenge you then to give also in the exact opposite way. So if you give nothing because you feel like you have nothing, start giving 1% of your nothing income to God. See what he does. Okay, I know it's be a stretch, it'd be hard, but try that. Uh, if you only give to the church, expand, still give, give your tithe to the church, but say, okay, I'm going to expand and I'm going to give also to the mission field. I'm going to give to, uh, you know, a Congo, a Covenant Congo kid, and I'm going to support a Covenant Congo kid for, you know, for, for uh, $50 a month. In other words, whatever, however you give, God bless you for doing that. Do also give the opposite way, and God will bless you. You see, because God is your provider, and you have more than enough. Your goal, the joy of your life should be, how am I going to give some of this away? <laughs> how am I going to give some of this excess that I have away? When God has blessed us so much, how it thrills him when we give joyfully, extravagantly, and sacrificially. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, what a joy it is to uh, serve you. And Lord, on these kind of Sundays when we talk about money, I know it's a little bit anxiety for, and I know it's for the preacher, and all for the people as well. And, but Father, when we start seeing our giving as something that, 
We're just responding to the way that you have extravagantly blessed us, the way you have extravagantly loved us and given us so much. Father, I pray that you would help us to be a generous congregation, a generous to the church, generous to mission fields, generous to the poor. Just, Father, that we would just bless each and every one because you have blessed us. And Father, this morning we have the privilege of coming to the table of grace. And here's another reminder of how extravagant your love is. You don't ask us to come to the table of communion uh, because we deserve it, because we don't. You ask us to come when we don't deserve it, which is what we do. And you ask us to come to this table not because we're perfect, but because we're imperfect. And at this table, you lavish upon us your unbelievable grace, your forgiveness, yourself. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help every person in this room to say, you know what, as I come to the table of grace, I just want to experience once again God's outpouring of love and grace for his child, for you, for each and every one of us. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.